Welcome to another episode of Agile Coffee, where we serve up those espresso shots of lean and agile wisdom. Today, John and I are at Paradise Perks in Irvine, California, at Jeffrey Road and Irvine Center Drive, across from Irvine Valley College. Meet us here someday, won't you? Roll the music. This is Agile Coffee, episode number four, and I'm at Paradise Perks with my friend, Mr. John Jorgensen. Good morning, John. Good morning. Okay, so Agile Coffee, as you know, every um, time we meet, we have a list of questions. You can submit a question anytime via Twitter uh, using the hashtag AskAgileCoffee, all one word. John, you've got about five questions remaining from the previous podcast that we've done, so let's go ahead and get started. Agile games and gamification. So these are probably two separate pro, uh, two separate topics. I'm juxtaposing them for the sake of contrasting them, mm. but they're both topics that I think are relevant to the world of work, which I'd like to discuss. Cool. We have a card that says Agile in Japan. So I happen to have some insights and some questions I ask myself about how things are going agilely in Japan, and I'd like to have that conversation. Another, another card says training, taboos, and readiness. Right. So this is relating to, say, being a trainer of Agile or Scrum in a corporate setting and what, what is unacceptable or uh, unspoken, let's say, and uh, what do we need to have in terms of some level of readiness to execute on our skills as trainers. We have a card that says recursion, use it or lose it. Yes, this is the act of using the thing to teach about the thing or just going back and using a pattern inside of another pattern. Uh, build plan up front. Oh, big, big plan. plan big plan up front versus just-in-time plans versus no plans. Right, so this is a conversation about how much planning and or estimating is the right amount for what kinds of settings in projects. All right, so that's our cards. Again, Lean Coffee or Agile Coffee basically um, starts with cards on the table. We talk about the cards as we just did, and then we would vote on the cards. Everyone involved in a, participating in a Lean Coffee would have two or three votes, voting as many times on any one card as they wish, and then you rank the cards in order of priority. So if the most votes goes on the top of the deck the least votes on the bottom, and then you start discussing the cards as a group. So we will set five minutes per card. Uh, at the end of five minutes, we'll do a Roman vote, which is a thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumb in the middle, uh, which indicates you'd like to continue or discontinue or you're ambivalent um, about that topic. If we have enough votes saying to continue the topic, then we'll go ahead and add another three minutes on, and we'll continue doing that until the topic exhausts itself. So uh, minimum five minutes or so, uh, maximum could be you know up to... 10, 12, 14 minutes. And with that, we can go ahead and start with our first card. This is, you mentioned maybe it's two topics, mm -hmm. Agile Games and also gamification. gamification. So you're going to talk about what is the juxtaposition of these two. Right. So if you go through many CSM courses, I think you'll notice that there's at least a couple of Agile Games that are embedded in the coursework. Mm -hmm. And it's usually some short exercise, you know, five to ten minutes at most. The penny game? 
Penny Game is a perfect example, and it teaches. You know, there's like a moral to the story, sure. kind of a moral of the game, and and it's great because we learn so much through our own engagement, physically moving, you, uh, you know, using a metaphor and a visual to retain the lesson, the experience of of what was happening and what we learned. So Agile Games uh, continue, and of course in Boston there's an Agile Game Conference in about two or three weeks, and people are constantly developing new Agile Games, and um, you know the website uh, tastycupcakes.com is like this mm-hmm. encyclopedic database of the Agile Games that have been reported uh, to that owner. And I'm seeing more Agile Games spring up that are even more creative. You know, I have my own personal bias towards Legos, experienced an agile game at the 2014 global scrum, global scrum gathering in new orleans um by iceberg it was uh very insightful towards what happens with um con- well yeah continuous particle flow or um i guess you could say like kind of an assembly line uh type of flow of work i mm-hmm. guess you could equate it to some kind of kanban but it's a metaphor and learned a lot of things by doing it now, that is a very different thing from what's going on now, which is gamification. Mm. And um, there's even like an association that's now certifying at four different levels of understanding of gamification as it applies to things like um, product marketing or product development. And um, from the coursework that I've seen so far, what I'm seeing is tie-ins directly to things like point cards, like you know, frequent flyer miles, etc. And the interesting turn that the curriculum took is that these points systems and frequent flyer systems are more focused on actually not, not just the reward and certainly not giving cash back like you might see with credit cards and things like that, you know, redeeming points for money. But actually, the status that's associated with gathering a certain number of points or miles, and this obsession that our culture has with status is is interesting to me because mm. I think that it's actually kind of a counter agile value. Yeah, um, you know, we don't honestly believe that one person um, is more valuable or right. innovative uh, than another. However. I think that maybe part of our pop culture is, uh, if you've ever read Dr. Seuss and the Star Belly Sneetches, mm-hmm. we love our stars or non-stars yes, <laughs> on right, our bellies, right. mm-hmm. um, which I, I think leads ultimately to a dissatisfaction. Yeah. And maybe it's that dissatisfaction that creates the stronger demand in some other form mm-hmm. or iteration. And so it, that's the beauty, I guess you could say, in a capitalistic system is that the satisfaction um, is never attainable, and so it just breeds more demand. I want to I want to steer the conversation back. Um, you mentioned Legos, and I wanted to point out one of my favorite sure. games with Legos. And, yeah. and I don't know that many, but um, Billy Billy Garnett um, yeah. also goes by Brian. I'm not sure what his name That's, is. Off yeah, the Brian. Top of my head. He was the one who yeah. did that. Uh, so, he's with Iceberg. Yeah, yeah. Brian from Iceberg uh, introduced me to uh, TDD Test Driven Development. Oh, yeah. Very simply with a with a set of Legos. And um, nice. he shared with me what the kit is in Legos. So I went and bought my own kit so that I could bring that uh, training on board to, to my workplace and kind of oh, walk wow. through what is TDD. But just, a, uh, you know, games are just a, a familiar and easy way to learn something because we're all humans are just wired to play games, mm-hmm. right? We just Absolutely. inherently want to play. 
yes. from from birth. We it's just how want we learn. to play games. It's yeah. how we learn exactly. So if you can kind of harness that source when you're doing learning, especially on a new concept, something mm-hmm. like test driven development, yes. where a room full of engineers may have been working as developers for anywhere from two to 20 to 50 years and you're introducing a new concept, that takes a lot of rewiring of their circuits. And if you can do it in a fun way, yes. gamifying it. Um, yeah, it, you know. lo- it lowers the barriers. And, and so that's the thing is, you know, I, I, I think the agile games are helpful. I don't know if we call it gamification or not. I guess my, my personal jury is out on that one. But by the way, um, I have been in contact with Brian, and he mm-hmm. has uh, agreed that some at some point we're going to maybe via Hangouts yeah, we have pull to. him into the podcast. He's got a lot of other stuff beyond the, the Legos. He's been doing the um, uh, – it's kind of like Agile for the Body. Um, I can't remember what he called it off the top of my head. But um, human refactoring, the human refactoring guide. Oh, nice! Really fun. He's got a lot of great stuff to say. Yeah, so I'm I'm hopeful that this trend continues of building agile games. That gamification itself takes a turn towards the light side of the force. I guess mm-hmm. you could say. I and I'm sure that it does. Uh, honestly, I think you can look at Scrum as a gamification framework. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I I love the feeling of making progress, and I think that that dopamine that I'm mm-hmm. getting is is a good thing because it drives me forward to be a better person and yep. to get more done. All right, so that's the end of this topic. We will move on then to the next card, which is Agile in Japan. Nice. So the surprising thing about Agile in Japan is even though you know you could say that the new new Scrum game, you know, being written by Take and Nonaka back in, I guess it was the mid-80s, um, and you know is often pointed to as the source of Scrum or Agile. Ironically, um, it's still a developing, I guess you could say, community right now. And I, I met a gentleman um, named uh, Mr. Kawaguchi, Kawaguchi-san, who's uh, currently, I guess you could say, serving as one of the uh, community supporters of the Scrum movement, and uh, working with a small handful uh, to keep to keep Scrum alive out there and growing. But I think that you know they they need inputs, and the the biggest um, I think probably area of interest and and need is that you know all of these wonderful books and presentations and podcasts are in English mm-hmm. and that that language barrier mm-hmm. is is a great separator. Yeah. Um so when when they do get, you know, a visiting um trainer or coach or just author authority in the field to Japan, um they're very hungry for the content mm-hmm. and they absorb it very quickly. Mm-hmm. And just wish that there was more. And to give you kind of an idea of the the size of the community that I'm aware of and the uh Mr. Kawaguchi is aware of, is that um, probably over the years there have been um, a few trainings of POs and Scrum Masters, maybe 200 product owners. Mm -hmm. And my best guess would be that there's roughly that equivalent of Scrum Masters. Mm -hmm. And as I began to peruse the uh, job listings on, you know, the job boards that were very popular uh, a little while ago in Japan, found that maybe out of every, for every 50 project manager role that's being advertised there's maybe one or two scrum master roles uh, right. being posted is it trending 
I, I don't know. Trending I've up. been looking long enough. Yeah. I would guess that it's trending up. I, I kind of look at the development and say maybe they're about eight or nine years behind the United States in yeah. terms of growth of that community. I'm hoping that it grows much larger because they, they do have a lot of project work and they mm-hmm. obviously, you know, with words like Kaizen um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about slicing things uh, thin like sushi. It seems like every mm-hmm. other day somebody uses a new Japanese term to describe an agile practice. Mm-hmm. But um, the the roots of Deming uh, are very strong, I think, in, in industry there. And so the potential to deliver more value faster uh, is still great and there is a strong inclination to just do that and also a huge amount of robustness and resilience uh, towards change so I'm, I'm hoping that someday in the future um, we both maybe uh, bring in speakers uh, mm-hmm. from, from Japan into this podcast and of course uh, we can translate it back into English and then some of these podcasts uh, English back into Japanese for their benefit. I think that would be an amazing uh, opportunity as our listeners may or may not know John is pretty well fluent in Japanese having worked there over 10 years. Yeah, I in, lived there about 17 and worked all those years of course. Um, 17 and then I'd lived there for three years myself I'm nowhere near as fluent as you but at least I could probably I'm sure take on a facilitator's role yeah. um, and then having someone in here feeling that it's safe enough for them to speak in their native tongue would be just just amazing. I'm trying to find uh, the list of a couple of guys that I know. I, I don't have their names on top of my head, and I don't want to, like, guess and get it wrong. So, um, yeah, I've got a few contacts mm-hmm. that I've made at uh, the Agile Alliance, uh, Agile mm-hmm. 2014, and then before that at some San Francisco gatherings as well. Yeah, and the, to bring those guys on. The, these, these individuals that I met at the uh, New Orleans Global Scrum Gathering, uh, very fluent in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, however, yeah. the constituents um, may not be. And yeah, so, I'd, I'd love to be able to... Record a, an all Japanese podcast, put yeah. it out there, and then you know have the translation available uh, for English crowd. Absolutely. So, Anything else on that? Um, no, that's just it. Is um, there's uh, there's some interest in Japan, and of course, where there's interest and change, there is resistance. That's right. Um, I've I have a, a a short personal story, I guess you could say. A, a friend of mine uh, who's retired from IBM, upon hearing about what Scrum is, um, said, oh, "Of course, that'll never work here." Yeah. <laughs> Referring to Japan. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, of course, there's going to be bias and resistance to change, but um, that's the same wherever you go in the world. Yep. And um, I would love to see uh, Agile and Scrum really take strong root and become a you know the, the, a vibrant community of practitioners someday and see what they have to offer us back, um, you know their innovations on on that uh, framework. Great. All right, we are moving along again. I just want to remind people to check out the website. That's agilecoffee.com. For any updates, we will, of course, have show notes here, so you could check out AgileCoffee.com Episode 4 and tell us what you think. Uh, Reply via Twitter would be great. If you wanted to ask a question, use the hashtag AskAgileCoffee. If you wanted to reply with any experiences, use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. With that, we've got the next card coming up. So this is Training, Taboos, and Readiness. Yeah, so, you know, very recently... I was in a webinar uh, conducted by Sharon Bowman. What's this book you have in front of you? So this is Training from the Back of the Room, 65 Ways to Step Aside and Let Them Learn. This is probably the most precious book that I own. 
And the reason why I say that is that it's the Bible for training people. Of course, my objective to train people in Scrum. And it's what I would call a very counterintuitive approach. And by that, I mean that the establishment of traditional training practices is one where, you know, you just need to have very clearly documented what it is you're going to say, your messages. You know, you have a hook and you have like lead-ins and you make points in pairs or in threes or whatever. There's a lot of emphasis on structure and, you know, um, the grammaticalness of, you know, how you convey it through words. I love that you just created a word called grammaticalness. Yeah, <laughs> the grammaticalness of your words. And you know what? The the neuroscience, the cognitive neuroscience of how we learn is just so completely unrelated to that. We have cognitive neuroscience telling us that people learn by doing. Mm-hmm. You learn by having movement and having touch Kinetics. Kinetics uh, by using emotion, learning with emotion, and things being immediately relevant to you. And by discovering things firsthand and then writing them down and expressing them to people, teaching the same thing that you just discovered to other people. And speaking of the same thing, recursion. Using the thing to teach the thing Mm -hmm. is really effective and I don't know if Sharon Bowman discovered this on her own. In fact, I know that she didn't because she's got a very long list of writings that she read that led her to these conclusions, but she's packaged it nicely. And I think that most training that happens in this world, whether it's academic or corporate, does not leverage these these things that we've discovered through cognitive neuroscience. So I'm looking through this book that you've got here. It's only a little over three, 250 pages. It's not yeah. real big. Not at all. But, um, but it's packed. I, I just scanned it. Sure. And I looked at the table of contents, looked at the indexes. This is something that I'd like to pick up. It's not a cheap book. No. I think it's like $42 or something it says here, and that yeah. might be a used price. But, yeah. um, but used, definitely it looks yeah. like it's worth its uh, weight. Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, yeah, I, I always try to book, buy my books used to get them very, very cheap. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's, a, it's a pittance to pay for the amount of value that you get from implementing the ideas that she packages very nicely there. And the thing is, I've already been the benefactor mm-hmm. of so many of these principles because the trainings that I've been in related yeah. to Agile and Scrum are always you know, packaged the way that she's John, anytime that you can mix up your training, we talked about this before, but anytime you can introduce some novelty to the training, something that the audience and you Mm -hmm. haven't experienced before, it kind of alerts our minds to pay more attention to it. So I think having a book like this, you know, just puts more tools into the tool belt, so to speak. Yeah. And is great. You can, even if you only pull one thing out of here and share Mm -hmm. it with the group and it prompts some kind of learning or discussion, then well worth the price. Right. And I guess that's that's what really leads to the taboos is, okay. I, you know, me being a, a former traditionalist, a mm-hmm. former very conservative uh, thinker of things and, ide- and, and believer of ideologies, I think that uh, there would be a very strong resistance to some of the things that I know to be effective. For example, using something tactile as Lego to learn a point about the way that work can be done more effectively could be easily poo-pooed and you know um 
made the brunt of jokes and minimalized and swept under the carpet. So, you know, while there will always be naysayers, uh, especially with the people that are on the cutting edge of science and uh, discovery and innovation, we still have to keep, you know, going forth with this. And so, you know, um, it's, it's even speaking to people who have read Sharon's book and have created curriculum of their own, they might say, well, you know, uh, it's not so controversial. These, these things are not new. We've known mm-hmm. for a long time sure. before that, you know, people learn through rhyme. They learn through vivid color and contrast mm-hmm. and all these things, change and movement. Um, Maybe to me this is kind of the Taylorism of training. There is a time where we try to codify and formulate all of these rules and constraints that actually are ex- counterproductive and ineffective. Mm-hmm. So, so I think you know maybe it's it's going to be something that it's a matter of opinion and um, we can push beyond. Yeah, and fu- you're talking about. Uh, go on. I'll let go. And the, the final point was that readiness. You know we. We, we have a lot of uh, tools for us to use to train people in what we know about Agile and mm-hmm. Scrum. And we don't know when we have the opportunity to actually give a little snippet, you know, right. one modular piece of information. Mm-hmm. It's incumbent upon us, the aspiring trainers, to have our saws sharpened and be ready to, on a moment's notice essentially, take one principle and translate it into a very digestible, back-of-the-room type of curriculum to deliver to whatever audience happens to emerge in the moment. And that's, uh, I'm hoping, what will make a difference when we're trying to change the world of work. Can't anticipate when we'll have that opportunity to, but you know, pull out your cards or whatever it is that you're, you're using to, to keep track and organize the curriculum and deliver it in a digestible way. Let us know how you're sharpening your saw. Reply on Twitter to the hashtag TellAgileCoffee with regard to being ready, this idea of readiness. So I've got multiple mediums that I I use to to kind of be the vessel of the content, right? So Mm -hmm. it's whether it's blog posts in long form or short form, uh, podcasts, which could be uh, my shorter ones are only four minutes, my longer ones are Mm -hmm. in this Agile Coffee uh, style, which are a bit longer. And then, you know, videos, I like to start doing some videos. What have you got uh, in terms of that? Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to stay below 20-minute pieces, as, as Sharon advocates, and I'm thinking, you know, if I can go back and look at the curriculum that I've experienced to be effective in learning what a scrum master does, if I can reduce that to you know these recipe cards that we use in Agile Coffee and carry them around with me maybe on a ring. And at a moment's notice, somebody says, okay, so what is this? Or tell us about you know, what it means to have a retrospective. If I can you know, flip to that card and give a, a decent, understandable, and memorable uh, s- summary, yeah. then boom, think I, I think I'm the, ready. Think of it as the elevator pitch. Exactly. Right? Lots of elevator pitches together make a full curriculum. That's, that's my hope and experiment. All right. So we are, we've got a few more cards left to go. Let's talk about, this is something that you brought up a little bit earlier in a previous yeah. card, but recursion, use it or lose it. Yeah. So the thing about recursion is it's using a thing to teach the thing mm-hmm. or learn the thing. 
And I first encountered it in a form that I could recognize when I was at the booted boot camp. Jim McCarthy was teaching the core protocols for about a week. Mm-hmm. And basically, we were using the core protocols to learn what the protocols do and why we have them. And then, again, with Sharon's book, uh, she mentions using recursion as being a, a good delivery vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about the training that I've been through in Scrum where you have different projects uh, that are scrum sprints to learn what a sprint really is. And then the curriculum itself, um, written down onto some sort of task board card Mm -hmm. and moved across the board to both teach agile or scrum and learn what a task board is by using the task board to teach the course. And so I'm now thinking of more ways that I can build recursion into different parts of my life to both gain insights about the form, but also the substance. And initially, as I was doing this, I felt kind of like uh, this character, I forget, uh, Elwood, I think is his name, uh, a really cheesy uh, movie that Johnny Depp somehow uh, found it his person Mm. to be able to portray, which is recycling Mm -hmm. um, with with a very negative uh, connotation, I guess I'd say. Um, And so, you know, there is maybe a tendency to think, is this a forced metaphor, you know, building Mm. it in to be reflexive. But actually, I think that it leads to improvement as we can take something that we know works in one setting and maybe we move out another abstraction layer uh, to apply it to a bigger setting of, mm-hmm. um, that we make discoveries that can apply to both the larger setting and the original smaller setting. So recursion um, sometimes seems um, brain dead or repetitive, but can actually uh, lead to valuable discoveries, and it does ingrain it more into our memory. So. I'm a strong proponent of recursion. I'm interested in finding new ways uh, to exploit the benefits of recursion. If people have seen that um, in other parts of their work or learning, it, it seems to be valuable. And, and I don't think it's coincidence that both uh, you know, Jim McCarthy, who actually predates, in my opinion, um, the Agile movement, um, and then all of these scrum trainers and perhaps many others uh, in the world of training. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd just be interested in seeing how far this recursion pattern goes. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so we've had a lot of really good cards. This one looks like a bigger one, as you said. So mm-hmm. let's talk about... Big plan up front. Big plan up front. (laughs) BPUF. Big plan up front versus just-in-time plans versus no plans. Yep. So, you know, what I think uh, I see as an anti-pattern to Scrum and Agile developing is this tendency to say that all plans are wrong. Mm -hmm. Because waterfall is a big plan up front, that no planning should be done, that no estimates should be done, and that there shouldn't be delivery dates uh, made. That we should—it's done when it's done. And don't rush us, and don't make any kind of communication to customers when something is going to be available. And when teams and scrum masters, stakeholders, and product owners polarize in whatever direction on that continuum, because I do believe it's a continuum. 
then all of a sudden people start questioning whether we're really doing Agile or Scrum because we don't fall in that magical sweet spot um, that happens to be at one of those two ends. And I don't believe that that sweet spot right. is on either of those ends. And I think the sweet spot is always moving too. Yes, so. very true. Depending on the content of the project, depending on the industry that you're in, and depending on the maturity of the product, that sweet spot could be in many different places. And so it's a balancing act, I think, of planning versus maybe just-in-time plans. And um, when when the occasion you know demands, yeah, you might find yourself aborting a sprint. You might find yourself canceling a release to make a new plan mm-hmm. for a shorter sprint or a new sprint or a different release. And simply, you know, being intransigent and digging in your heels and saying, well, that's not agile and we're against it and, you know what, i got to go find a new, a new job mm-hmm. um, is not the correct approach. And the reason why I say this is, uh, you know, personally, I found a presentation given by Kenneth Rubens at um, this uh, global gathering in New Orleans, but also his book, you know, I think it's called Scrum Essentials. It's a lot more than essentials. In other words, it's a lot more than the basics, let's say. It's all essential, I'm sure. But he goes into the reasons why certain parts of Scrum are variable or dynamic or flexible, adjustable, whatever you want to call it, um, to meet the, the, the demands or the needs of everybody involved at the given moment. And I wish that more people would speak to this topic in the context of what you know, Kenneth Rubens um, gave us there, that it is a continuum, it is a balance, and you'll be moving between those two extremes of big plans. Uh, and by, by big, we're talking about you know, year-long plans or multi-year plans that you often see in um, traditional sequential slash waterfall approaches to software development versus what you might call a moderate plan, which is maybe a multi-sprint, multi-iterational release plan that would span a couple of months at the most, versus just-in-time plans, which are perhaps very short sprints of a week, maybe even daily plans if you're really taking it to an extreme. That would be very extreme, but I could probably, if I think about it, um, imagine some circumstances where that's necessary. Yes. And, you know, honestly, I believe that even if estimates are not accurate, Mm -hmm. and if they're far, far from precise, Mm -hmm. estimating as an exercise helps you learn about what it is you're to make, and also helps you learn about how you pace and what it is that's the perennial upsetting factor to your pace. Right. And so keeping track of those estimates versus the actuals will allow you to see if you're getting more insights, generally speaking, if you're developing a skill of asking the right questions that leads to those insights. And for those reasons alone, I would say that there's value in spending a moderate amount of time. Not a huge amount of time, not like days per week or something like that, but some very small fraction, you know, below 10% of your total iteration on making estimates quickly and then going in and revising them semi-frequently. Yep. So that's, that's kind of what I see as being on the table for discussion and that there is currently a, a lot of misunderstanding on it and it would benefit a lot of us to probably spend time speaking about it, reading about it, and converging on some opinions about it. 
and like you said in the beginning, this sounds like a much larger topic. We can spend a lot of time, especially if we were to bring Woody Zool in and, sure. and have him talk about no estimates. Right. Uh, Which he that sounds like um, something that we need to set up down the road is just a conversation with him. Yes, especially kept to, I would say, very dispassionate discourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel that it's something that need people need to take um, – sort of rigid stances or sure, positions. Sure, but at least in. hear what it is and why he yes. says that it's important to consider. Yes, absolutely, because mm-hmm. he, he does have his reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, very logical individual and uh, the best of motivations, I'm very confident. Is there anything else we want to talk about on this topic? We've just hit five minutes. No, I think that we've we've given this uh, the first cursory treatment that it needs. So we have uh, we have mentioned a few different resources and books, and those will all be in the show notes to today's podcast. So you can visit us online for those show notes at agilecoffee.com slash episode four, and you can find all the links to any of the books or resources that we've mentioned. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we wrap up this episode then, John? Any upcoming events that we'd like to discuss? Yeah, there's a couple coming up. So we've got the San Diego Scrum Day coming up soon in June. And then we have in September the 2014 Agile Open, which is an open space event. Tickets will go on sale the 1st of June, strike of 12.01. And, uh, of course, there's an early bird discount. Mm-hmm. It's already an extremely affordable rate. Mm-hmm. There's, it's, it is limited seating, limited participation. So being, being prompt and securing your ticket is, of course, key there. And then, of course, in mid-July, or I'm sorry, late July, there's the global Agile. Yeah, that's Agile, Agile Alliance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is coming up. So definitely ones to keep an eye on. And uh, folks who are going to be attending would love to interview them Mm -hmm. uh, to see uh, what's going on, if if we miss any of them. And, uh, of course, you and I, Vic, will be convening an Agile Coffee uh, session at the beginning of that San Diego Agile Scrum Day. Mm -hmm. Would love to have folks join us there live. um, Or, gosh, if if there's a way to... uh, Remote in. <laughs> so that day of Scrum will be on Friday the 13th of June Correct. Uh, down in San Diego. And uh, information of, for that is also on the website, agilecoffee.com. Yeah, I guess you could say we're the one open-ended piece of that day of, of presentation. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun because what we're going to do is spend um, 10 or 15 minutes at the beginning of our portion kind of going into like why lean coffees uh, work and how to set up your own lean coffee. And then we'll spend the rest of our time to actually run a lean mm-hmm. coffee with the, the participants there. So it'll be fun. Yeah, and the, the part uh, maybe our listeners could could participate in up front or in advance is I'd be interested in getting some input whether we should seed some of that conversation with some cards in mm-hmm. you know the, the Agile Coffee demonstration or, or whether organically we should expect folks to go ahead and bring their own. I think that either way is fine because what I'd like to do after we get the questions put onto cards is actually have everyone vote. So yeah. whatever questions are there, whether they've been seated or mm-hmm. come up on the spot, I think is fine because it's a democratic process. You Absolutely. Can, well, I wonder then how much will survive the democratic process <laughs> from the seating. Any other final words then to impart upon our 
great, fantastic listeners out there. Well, uh, I guess in relationship to Scrum, um, this is not my invention, but certainly something that I'm bringing to my teams, and that is that Scrum is simple, but not easy. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it, <laughs> and they're not yet. Um, and so what that means is that we need to apply ourselves to understand how to make it as easy as possible and to stick with it long enough that we reap the benefits of implementing it. Coffee.